Hello and welcome to the Rare Disease Cell and Gene Therapy Monthly Roundup. Every month, we at Partners for Access bring to you some of the most important news developments in the orphan drug cell and gene therapy world and what they mean to you. Hello and welcome to this month's edition of P4A's podcast. My name is Akshay and I'm a partner here at Partners for Access and today I'm joined by my colleagues Richard Wang, Andrea Bernardini and Erfan Akbarian. And what we'll be discussing today is how the world is going to transform post-COVID and the impact it's going to have on value delivery and demonstration for orphan drugs. So what I mean by that is, you know, on one hand, we have a big pipeline of high cost precision and personalized medicines that are going to be coming to market over 2021 and subsequent years. But COVID has also come into the fray and thrown new challenges around budgetary and resource pressures. So this double whammy pressure on payers is leading them to become very careful and ensure that they're really realizing value for every dollar spent on therapies. So for example, this is translating into the adoption of say cost effectiveness or cost utility analysis as one of the triangulation points to inform drug coverage choices, both in the US and Europe. So it's these pressures that are driving payers to start thinking in this way. And in this post COVID environment to succeed, we feel that companies have to move away from that current mindset of ensuring access to as many patients within a disease as possible and focusing more on sustainable access, by which I mean ensuring that the right patient gets access to the right treatment at the right point of time and at a price that is affordable to the healthcare system whilst ensuring a fair return of investment from manufacturers, i.e. creating a win-win environment. Levers such as efficient manufacturing processes, appropriate trial design, pragmatic real-world evidence initiatives, and value-based assessments to inform the launch pricing and contracting strategy will be key to drive sustainable access. Companies that can successfully carve out a niche for their drugs and support healthcare systems to find the right patient for their treatment at the right point of time will become the next generation of successful drugs. And to borrow of Praise from academics, they will be the next generation of niche busters. So now I'd like to bring in my colleague, Richard. So Richard, it'd be good to get your thoughts on what and how manufacturers can adopt digital techniques and through manufacturing, deliver value to pairs. So Richard, what are your thoughts? Uh, so yeah, thank you for the introduction, actually. Uh, as you've already mentioned, the long-term viability of precision and personalized medicine will ultimately hinge on its affordability to payers and the ability of manufacturers to deliver value. So what we're seeing is an emergent and urgent need to have a safe, scalable, high quality and consistent manufacturing process. So Richard, why is it that the manufacturing of precision medicines is such an issue today? Well, so first of all, it's the high costs of the manufacturing process, where it's believed that up to 60% of the entire cost comes from just the manufacturing. And this is because the manufacturing process is very long and complex and can include over 300 steps where you know, any suboptimal step or fault uh, along the way will result in your product being unusable and thus wasted. And also the nature of these products, uh, precision medicines, are very heterologous in nature because they utilize source materials such as donor or patient cells. And because of this, there's a lot of batch to batch variation and the process must be adjusted kind of individually to each batch. And this, of course, produces 
uh, big bottlenecks, for example, verifying the safety of each batches. So how does technology help manufacturers address this issue? You know, first off, we have automation. And what this means is that you can provide a closed and aseptic system or modules. And what this means is that because there's less external perturbations, you have less contamination and less wastage. And because it's automatic, it's utilizing these biosensors that can sample, monitor, and report real-time parameters in line. They can provide kind of instant feedback that allows for faster, precise control, uh, kind of like a thermostat. So you're really kind of taking away any human involvement and human error. And secondly, uh, you can have electronic records and tracking tools, which can be used to interconnect products, materials used, and analytic results at different stages to keep track of the process. So this increases the throughput of decision-making and quality control. And finally, all these digital processes are driven by AI, which relies on the collection of good data. So what the AI can do is digest all the data that is generated and generate spot trends, patterns that otherwise would be, that humans would otherwise not be able to see. And acting on these trends and patterns, you can optimize the process and increase the quality and yield of a product. So Richard, I can certainly see the benefit of automation and AI in improving consistency across batches and hence, you know, at least giving that assurance that the outcomes for patients will be more consistent. But how do you see this translating into cost savings or do you see it translating into cost savings at all for payers in the long run? Yeah, I do. I think, you know, through AI and manufacturing, by optimizing the process, by being able to increase your yield, you can really, you know, hopefully transfer these savings to, to the payer and eventually you know, increase access for patients. And a good example of this is you know, monoclonal antibodies, which are used now in therapy. They currently only cost you know, tens of dollars to manufacture, but when they first came out in the 1990s, they were costing tens of thousands. And this big decrease in price really kind of reflects the advances in technologies. And yeah, so you know, I hope the future of these precision medicines will also follow a similar pattern. And thank you for that. Richard, it's quite clear that by optimizing those manufacturing processes, manufacturers can deliver value of these precision medicine by first ensuring consistency, but also cutting down some of the costs of manufacturing, which in turn will translate into savings for them. But Andrea, what are your thoughts around demonstrating value? Because so far, Richard's spoken about delivering value through AI. Do you see digital approaches helping in the demonstration of value, the pre-launch or post-launch for treatments? Hi, actually. Thank you for the introduction. Yeah, I think we have seen with the latest COVID pandemic, telehealth and telemedicine coming in into the healthcare sector and the pharmaceutical sector. And I think they're here to stay especially in rare diseases and orphan drugs. Um, we, we have seen on a survey by the National Organization of Rare Diseases that 83% of uh, rare disease patients were offered visits online and 88% uh, of them uh, accepted them. Wow. But, you know, that was a COVID in the COVID environment. But do you see this trend continuing in the post-COVID world? Uh, I think so, uh, because telehealth uh, has always been there, to be fair. It has been there for quite some years, but we never really appreciated it until these times uh, arrived. In fact, 92% of, of these patients had very ex positive experience. So we've spoken about telehealth, but you know, how does that help with value demonstration pre and post launch? Yeah, well, 
Tilly Health offers an array of tools. And, you know, if we focus on to the med tech, there, there are a lot of gizmos and gadgets out there that can help into uh, generating uh, value. An example uh, that I'd like to make is the Apple Watch and the Parkinson's disease. So uh, a recent study, what they've done, they've monitored Parkinson patients via their Apple Watches. And what they could see was basically the adherence to the therapy that these patients were wearing, were having, because these tools give you an opportunity for real-time monitoring. And this gives you information on, for example, quality of life of the patient as, uh, or the caregiver as well. And these ability of reaching patients in their own homes obviously has an impact in clinical trials and the design of clinical trials as well, because participation in a clinical trial being remotely monitored obviously saw a very high percentage of positive response from rare disease patients. 88% were willing to join into a clinical trial via remote monitoring. And these also can help with real-world evidence generation and gathering of real-life data, which should help manufacturers in acquiring day-by-day -day information on the patients that are undergoing you know, their clinical mm -hmm. trials. Now, thank you for that. And we certainly see that these digital tools can enable that real-time monitoring of patients, both in a trial setting, but also in a real-world usage setting to generate data. But do you see this even feeding into things like, say, contracting? Yeah, absolutely. We've seen an increase in interest for outcome-based payment models in Europe, for example. And these obviously, you know, will benefit by this use of digital tools to measure day-by-day uh, -day outcomes. So payers will obviously look forward to, these, uh, to the implementation of these real-life measurements. Fantastic. Now, this is really interesting. So based on what I've heard from you, Richard, and from Andrea, digital tools and techniques, AI and automation gives us that opportunity to, you know, collect the data to demonstrate value pre and post launch, but also to deliver value through more consistent manufacturing by cutting down the costs of manufacturing. However, when you think back and compare the pharma industry to other industries, you know, traditionally we have as stakeholders of the pharma industry have been much slower in the adoption of these digital tools. So I wonder if there's a role for multi-stakeholder engagement in order to ensure that this adoption is just not a COVID trend, but stays on in the post-COVID world. Zarfan, what are your thoughts on this? Thank you, Akshay. That's an interesting question because COVID has put some budgetary and resource pressure onto healthcare systems. However, COVID has also proved to be a catalyst for adoption of digital processes by the pharma industry. There has been a shift to digitalization, especially in terms of customer engagement, evidence generation, and methods to increase the value of a treatment. As my colleague Richard mentioned, digital techniques are being used to develop more efficient manufacturing methods. On the other hand, Andrea discussed how digital tools are helping with evidence generation and data collection, both in the development phase as well as post-launch. These are just some of the techniques highlighting uptake of digital methods to deliver and demonstrate value. As uptake of these digital methods rise, it's becoming increasingly critical for pharma to develop and implement a well-rounded multi-stakeholder engagement plan. So engaging with these different stakeholders in a timely and effective manner will be pivotal to understand how their needs are evolving in this dynamic environment 
This will help manufacturers adapt their strategies to demonstrate value in light of those evolving needs. Ultimately, with a multi-stakeholder approach, we would ensure patients with rare diseases are able to access innovative therapies in the post-COVID world. So thank you for that, Erfan. So I think the message is clear that if in this era of personalized and precision medicines and pressures due to COVID, if manufacturers are to succeed, it's all about driving sustainable access. And as we discussed today, you know, digital tools along with multi-stakeholder engagement will be critical to ensure that in this new environment, manufacturers can demonstrate and deliver relevant value to the different stakeholders in the value chain. And I'd like to thank the audience today for listening into this month's episode of the P4A podcast. Please do look out for a follow-on thought base on this topic and make sure to tune into next month's episode. Look forward to seeing you there. Goodbye. And that's it for this month. For more news and analysis, go to our website, www.partnersforaccess.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening. See you next month.